severely messed Artists like their boots are torn to shreds The government will spoil your hopes and dreams By offering a useless retreat and scheme There's such amazing talent, why can't you see That the government has decimated the industry And now the years of hard work have been thrown away Just get a real job. Hello, I'm Jamie McKinley and welcome to episode 111 of Just Get A Real Job podcast. Thank you for listening and thank you for all the lovely feedback and comments we've had on our live shows for the last few weeks. It's been so much fun getting to do this on front of a live audience and yeah, it's just really nice that people have been enjoying the episodes and massive shout out to Priel, Kate Hammer and Dictator for being part of those shows and yeah, be sure to go back and listen to those ones. Give them a share, give us a follow wherever you're listening and yeah, just uh, spread the word, etc. But we have a have another brilliant episode in store for you this week and we are joined on the podcast by the incredible Reese Cargan and I've wanted to have Reese on this podcast for ages. He's one of these people in the industry that's just so just talked about in such a positive way and, and he's just a great guy. He's done so much for the Scottish industry in my opinion he is a freelance producer and a Screen International Rising star and he runs Bombito Productions as well just one of those people that's got his fingers in so many pies as we speak about in today's episode and it was just a joy to have him on the podcast we had a great chat about lots of things including starting his production company nurturing talent his influences there's a lovely story about the late glenda jackson as well no it was just a really nice podcast to do and it was lovely to have someone as talented as reese on this podcast if you're wanting to get into film and tv particularly i think you're really going to enjoy this episode but it's a good lesson overall thank you again to reese for his time as well i know he's a very busy man we did have some slight audio issues with this one i'm afraid but it still sounds good i think elliot has done a great job as always putting this one together uh, but my microphone ran out of batteries about 10 minutes into the interview and I couldn't find any batteries so I have had to use my backup phone audio on my end. Reese still has a mic but it's th- I think it still sounds quite good considering so apologies if you're really into high quality sound podcast might not be to the standard this week but it's still a very good episode and yeah I hope you enjoy episode 111 of Just Get A Real Job with Reese Cargan. And quick apologies to Reese if I pronounced his second name wrong, because we know on this podcast it's something I do far too often. Anyway, enjoy. Hi Reese, lovely to see you again and thank you for uh, coming round to the flat to do this podcast and it's much appreciated. No worries, nice to see you again too. Nice flat as well. I appreciate it. I also realised that this is one of the first days in Glasgow. I think the sun's been out in ages and yeah, I'm making you spend it. Yeah, so I, do appreciate I can see it out the window, so it's fine. I'm very glad. Reese, you're obviously a freelance producer and a rising star as well. <laughs> so it's great to have you on the podcast. I've wanted to have you on this for a while. But do you just want to quickly sort of introduce yourself to the listeners? Yep. To tell us a bit about what you do and your job, etc. Yep. Uh, so I'm Reese Cargan. I'm, as Jamie said, a freelance producer and I set up my production company, Bombito Productions, in 2017, primarily working across shorts and short docs. I started to do well, and then started to work with different writers and directors, getting more commissions, and then started to get features and feature docs into development. Been on a few training labs, and then, as you alluded to, Screen International Rising Star last year. Yeah. Lots, lots, and lots for us to sort of talk about. Yeah, 
tonight, etc. But do you want to start at the very beginning? Yeah. What's your earliest creative memory or earliest memory of doing something that involved the arts, etc.? It's about the arts, but I think at school, primary school. So I grew up in Cumbria in a town called Dalton in Furness, which is really small and like a peninsula. It's quite geographically isolated from the UK. And I think probably it was just at primary school, like writing stories, poems, things like that. And then on the other side, playing with my twin sister's Barbie dolls to make it current. Barbie's out <laughs> in the cinema. But yeah, yeah, I remember doing that quite a lot. So yeah, playing with her dolls and writing stories was the earliest thing, like when I was about four or five. So playing with Barbies and writing stories sort of... Pretty much. That was like <laughs> where it started. And then I studied theatre studies, like a sixth form. I was too shy to actually act. That's when I started to think I could do something out with creative industries. And I studied film in the 90s, but then did nothing with it. <laughs> Where did you study film? Was that back in Cumbria? Or? No, it was at the um, University of Central Lancashire. I graduated and moved to Scotland in 1999. Wow. And have you been working in film stuff since 99 when you nope. moved here? Or were you doing <laughs> other things for a bit first? Doing other things. So I worked in like, social media, marketing, and then content design for the Scottish government. So like media adjacent but not media but it's something I'd always wanted to do and then as I was approaching 40 I don't know if it was a midlife crisis or just uh, taking stock <laughs> but I decided to go back to uni and do a master's and I went back to Edinburgh Napier at Screen Academy Scotland yep and did the master's in production amazing what year was that now you're asking me 2016 or something 17 I think. So when I, when I was there in 2020, your name was still commonly ah, yeah, yeah. commonly used. Yeah. So you must have made a big impression. There. Yeah, Susie Brown, legend. So yeah, after that, then I set up Bombito and started getting more and more commissions. Amazing. So Bombito since 2017 as well. So it's been, what, six years now? Yeah. Wow. It's gone fast. Well, I mean, as I said at the start, we've got the lots for us to unpack. But mm-hmm. just to sort of go back to, mm-hmm. I mentioned Cumbria briefly before yeah. to Scotland. Like, how is where you're from sort of influenced you as a creative person yeah um i think inversely it has because i grew up in a place like in a really working class environment where i'm from and no one really had jobs in the arts like especially Mm. not in my family no one went to university i think because i was growing up as a queer kid in that kind of environment i wanted to go to university primarily to get out of where i was living and also because i was interested in film so i found this course went off and did it. So I think it influenced me in the way that I wanted to escape. But also I was interested in like regional stories and people that are outsiders, like rather than people from big cities. So that's quite prevalent in a lot of things that I'm working on right now. I was going to say from the sort of your work that I've had the pleasure of reading from a sort of day job like that, that I would say even in all the writers that you're Mm -hmm. picked up and stuff, that's very like prevalent for sure. Yeah, I think in about 2020 I came to the realisation that the projects I enjoyed working on were with writers, directors um, and crew that had a shared experience. So it was like either from the queer community or an outsider or wanting to say something about being intersectionally diverse. And I think that is when I decided to write, okay, these are the stories I'm going to tell. And it helped shape the identity of Bombito and the projects that I had to my slate. That's amazing. I've got lots of questions to sort of Mm-hmm. to ask about Bombito as we go on. I'm glad you'd said it a few times, because I mean, where are I going to pronounce the production <laughs> company's name wrong no. every time I see you, I think that. But do you have like a favourite word or phrase from, I'm going to be cheeky and ask you for two since you've lived in Scotland for a while as well, <laughs> okay. but you, firstly from where you're from in yeah. Cumbria. 
and uh, the second lane Scotland. Okay, from in Cumbria, I like the word lal, which is a l a apostrophe a l. It means little. I don't know why I like it, but yeah, I, I like that <laughs> word. I think I just like the way that they, where I'm from especially, they mm. mess up the language, and it's like an amalgamation of Scotland, the northeast of England, and then the northwest, all just squashed together. Yeah. Some similarities. I lived in the Scottish borders as well. Uh, my Scottish word is sleek it. It's a good word. Sleek it, we, whatever. Bastard. <laughs> yeah. And just actually speaking of Scotland and the last question I asked you about where you're from and stuff, you've been here for a long time. Like, how have you found sort of living in Scotland as a creative person? Because a lot of people, especially as myself growing up in Scotland as a creative, you're sort of this attitude that you maybe have to go to London mm. to make it and stuff, but you've very much done the opposite. Yeah. Like myself, you stayed here and are, yeah. you know, making a lot of amazing Scottish mm. stuff and trying to really grow Scottish talent. Yeah. So how, how have you found living in Scotland? What's that sort of done for your own career? Exactly? Yeah, it's been honestly really brilliant for me. I think it's a great place that, for me personally, it's been super helpful, like so the schemes and opportunities and experiences. And some of it is because I've been applying for them for so long and some of it is like right place at right time. Time. some of it is maybe because it's like they're looking for more diverse projects so it's like I think it's a just a right place at the right time thing but also with yeah but for me I think Scotland's a really good place I don't think you need to go to London necessarily especially with like the BFI and other organizations making it like mandatory now that x amount of projects have to be for teams or writers or directors that are outside London I think there's going to be more and more coming up you can see it as well with all the TV and features that are coming up to film here. Do you still, I mean, a lot of people that come on the podcast, I've mentioned this before, but like, there's still a sort of thing where like they bring their own crew a lot though. Is, do you, have you found that still happens quite a lot in your experience? Yeah. Yes. That was De- a big nod for the listeners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely HODs, I think, and to a lesser extent other crew usually get like non-HODs mm. from here. But I think it's changing in terms of like, I thought like Screen Scotland would fund projects that just come here as like a service production i think you have to have more creative elements going forward i think certainly so yeah i think hopefully it will change because yeah. if anyone comes to me for a co-production or wants to talk about one then i have to explain that it can't just be you can't just be coming here for to get the free money from screen scotland as it has to have a scottish relevance either in cast crew hods whatever yeah. Brilliant. I really like that, by the way. No, I think that what you're saying, Reese, about the Scotland stuff is quite interesting. And it's good to hear that you're sort of positive about it as well. And and to have someone like yourself who's also sort of a champion of people staying here and, and being able to make a career of it here. Yeah, I think none of my like people that I work with, like the filmmakers and my producer friends that are up here, want on think they need to go down to London. And then they're the opposite, actually. A lot of my friends who are in London mm. keep saying, I think I'm going to move to Scotland because it's cheaper and there's more access to opportunities because London's mm. quite just dense and packed and there's lots of competition. Yeah, it's good to reverse it for a change. Yeah. I mean, instead of spending a thousand pounds on a cupboard, you could spend 500 pounds on a cupboard yeah. instead. So <laughs> it's all good. Reese, what I wanted to ask you about sort of, I know you touched on all the work you sort of did since you graduated um, from your first film, the course you did. But I sort of wanted to ask you about how you went from doing your master's in production, mm-hmm. which is a great course at the Screen Academy, obviously. I know lots of people that went there to study. But like, how did you sort of go from that into sort of starting your own company yep. and making a sort of almost career out of it and, and sort of yeah. living off it and stuff. I'm glad you said career and not living because 
yeah, it's more of a career than actually a money-making scheme at the moment. But I had a couple of jobs, so I was working in production as a runner on features and TV series to earn money whilst I was producing and applying for funding for shorts through different schemes. So mm-hmm. I worked with Jack Cousins on his Bridge in the Gap documentary, Every Man, which was a brilliant film. It was a hybrid documentary, did really well. And then I was also doing a short with Michael Richardson and Jack Gosens. Of course, Michael's yeah. previous guest on this oh, podcast. previous guest, yeah. yeah. I've heard his session. Wasn't very funny. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Don't leave that in. Kill me. And then, yeah, I started just doing like shorts, like getting more commissions for drama and documentary. And then every year now I've gone back to Scottish Documentary Institute and produced a short, which has all done really, really well. So... Prosopagnosia by Stephen Fraser, Clean by Miranda Stern, and then just delivering one now with Maria Diner, which is called Pen Bay which means Pink Moon. So yeah, Scottish Documentary Institute have been really good. Mm. And then I've got a feature doc in development with Berjan Beryl, who's Kurdish-Turkish documentary filmmaker based in Glasgow. So yeah, they've been good. And then the drama side is building up well. Yeah. I think I went way off on a tangent and didn't. No, it's a very, it's a very good answer. answer question, no. to be honest. It's really interesting. There's lots to sort of unpack in it. Like the on the documentary drama thing, mm-hmm. a very good question to ask you. Like, because they're quite different mediums. How yeah. do you, as a producer, like the must? Are they quite different to work on? Yes. Than each other. Yeah, very different. Especially, it's really different as well when you add animation into the mix. So I did a bit of animation with the short film Who I Am Now with Jack and Michael and. Worked with Holly Summerson, doing some scenes and animated, and I just finished a animated drama with her, which was a short circuit BFI Network short. So that was even more difficult, I think, than doing doc and drama. Because at least with doc and drama, you have a crew, you go and film something, and there's a narrative. They're both mm. like narrative in structure. Obviously, animation is as well, but I did the 2D animation, and that was the opposite of everything I've ever learned. So it was all done in pre-production and front-loaded that way. So that's what I find more different, if you like is the animation side of things as opposed to the doc and the drama can be around more similarities, I think. Yeah. And in terms of, like, how you sort of manage, like you are saying at the time you are working as a runner when you are starting all this stuff out, mm-hmm. so in terms of, like, sort of working those other jobs to sort of bring in the money and stuff, especially at the start, how did you manage all that? Like, that sounds quite... Like, you know, running work is mental. You're working, like, 12-hour days. Yeah. How do you how do you do all that? Awful. So, no, I think it's, like, running on empty most of the time. And also, my partner's amazing, and he was really supportive. So... He was picking up more of the slack on our joint bills. <laughs> Thank God he still is. Cheers, Dougie. And then, yeah, so having somebody who's really supportive at home enabled me to be a 40-year-old runner <laughs> running around like, yeah, and it is insane. And it was like a really intense period. And I think it still is that kind of mania in the industry. Just working, you'll know as well, like yeah. if you're in production, it's working insane hours to insane schedules yeah so i managed it by yeah help from partner friends and just working with people who are understanding as well Mm. yeah it's a strange strange business (laughs) indeed i don't know why we do it to ourselves sometimes but it's all all be worth it that's why i keep telling myself anyway (laughs) i keep telling myself that too i keep saying i've got this thing i keep saying if i can just get through the the next two weeks i've been saying that for two years (laughs) (laughs) oh my god well, the thing is, though, Reese, like you're you're making some amazing things, and like you're championing so many amazing people. 
but I think something which I get the impression from you, and I know I don't know you that well, but I feel like you're very generous with your time, and you'll give your time to as many people as you can, and you'll do, you know, if somebody emails you for advice, yeah. you'll give them it, yeah. you'll tell me before that you have a rule where you're trying to reply to every email, and it's like, I think that's really inspiring, and I try to do that myself to the other people coming up, but it is really hard when you're spinning so many plates, and yeah. it, can, it can catch you up easily. Oh, totally. I used to reply to everyone straight away and then I used to pride myself on, yeah, I replied to everyone. And then when I was sending emails to people and they weren't replying, I was like, I'll never be like that. But now I am starting being like, shit, I can't reply to the messages. So I'm still trying to reply to all of them. And then if I don't, Vi, who's working with me just now, Mm. replies to and has meetings with people as well. But yeah, I do like to try because I remember because it's very... Yeah. recent memory that it's how hard it is to try and get a foothold in the industry so yeah I understand what that pain's like for sure but what I think is also really good about you sort of opening up about your career and your experience over the last few years in particular with Bombito have I said it right? yeah you have I got, I got yeah. it there you go is really good as well because people a lot of people what happens is after they study a film course or whatever and they get their first break in the industry as a runner or in production or like myself in the COVID department which is probably gone now I imagine they, they don't have a lot of time to do their creative projects or they may be too tired to Yeah. so I think it's good for people to know that you don't you know you can maybe have a few months off and go back to it or you're still able to sort of keep those other plates spinning a little bit in the background yeah I think it is to see if you can yeah, keep those plates spinning in the background while still trying to maintain some sort of personal life and pay your rent or your mortgage and everything else. And that's why I think uni was good because at the time I was working for Scottish Government and I went part-time. I think I did the Masters. I was working 25 hours a week and doing the Masters. It was really intense doing all these different, yeah. producing all these different projects. But I think that was a good breeding ground. A good uh, lesson of what it's going to be like all the time. Yeah, yeah. and it hasn't stopped since, I don't think. <laughs> Wild. I also wanted to ask you a little, what well, you don't have to talk about it, so it's up to you, but obviously, speaking about the running period, yep. um, when you were working on productions to mm-hmm. sort of pay the bills and, and get your sort of foothold in the industry, but obviously a few weeks ago, Glenda Jackson, obviously iconic, she mm. passed away. Yeah. I know you worked on Elizabeth is Missing, yeah. which of course was an STV drama production yep. Yep. Um, before I worked there, but like, you got the sort of chance to work work with Glenda so do you want to just tell the listeners a bit about yeah. the Glenda Jackson story which yeah, she's, she's an amazing story. honestly she's um, so amazing like I cherish that experience I was production runner and also mainly like picked up responsible for picking up and dropping off Glenda taking her around she was living in Glasgow I was smoking at the time she was a smoker <laughs> heavy smoker and used to go to a waitress to get her shopping with her and then go up to the car park in Glasgow <laughs> have a slice bag and one time the woman from Waitress came outside and was like, you can't smoke up there. And Glenda was like, fuck off. And I was like, Glenda, she's like, what's she going to do about it? She's like, flicked her ass. Amazing. Also, yeah, she always tried to get me to go in for a drink and a white wine. And I was like, I can't, I'm driving. She's like, just one. I was like, you can't drink and drive in Scotland. But she was just really nice and generous with her time and just such a pro, like, learned her lines. Amazing. And such a formidable presence and great actress yeah she's yeah. really missed it's amazing I'm glad the, I got to meet her I love the idea that a, like a former Labour MP and I know. icons <laughs> just telling somebody well I suppose Waitrose she's fighting against the, <laughs> the elites yeah, yeah, yeah even then no thank you for sort of sharing that I just it's, it's really nice just like to hear about like you know I saw that poster you uh, poster picture you posted on your Instagram yeah. with her it's just like I was yeah. in the flat that she was in in Glasgow she's just really nice just a nice 
person. I like some of the stories which I am not going to tell. <laughs> she just had a bit of an acid tongue. But yeah, she was great. That's why I liked her, I think, so much. <laughs> no, thank you for, uh, for sharing that. Another thing I wanted to ask you about was the, sort of, the role of a producer. Like, mm-hmm. What do you do on a day-to-day basis? <laughs> and I know it can be different depending on the, the project or the production, but generally, what does a freelance producer like yourself do? Yeah, well, it depends if, I, if I'm production on something or if I'm working for myself or somebody else. So if I'm working like an, on a commercial for somebody else, I'll be doing production management and prep and producing work for that so that involves like sourcing crew and mm. liaising with client and agency and things like that so that's that one that side of things from doing that to earn the money otherwise it's lots of meetings usually on zoom with writers directors documentary filmmakers um, funders commissioners about the state of various projects and it's trying to keep the slates balanced and progressed also doing lots and lots of funding applications which is like feel like most of my time is spent filling in application forms for like to get development funding or production funding or to go on labs and then chatting with Vi who I work with who works for Vito about like scripts and reading scripts and then Vi will do a script report and I'll read it and I'll read the script and have a chat about the slate and then doing social media for like the projects that are in submitting to film festivals delivering films to funders and commissioners planning shoots yeah it's, it's varied like every day is like different yeah mm. a lot day. though yeah a lot a lot of different stats yeah what, what's the most challenging part of it for you what do you find the hardest I think the constant barrage is the hardest thing like never being able to switch off because it's mm. like it's not a nine to five job and I think a lot of producers I speak to find it the same like mm. hard to put to carve out like you time or holidays or just time to actually switch off because you're always in yeah go to goal mode and yeah so I think it's yeah that is the hardest how do you manage to switch off I know you're saying it's hard to but that obviously it's very important like mental health and stuff what, yeah. what have you found has helped you sort of mental health and you've been able to sort of switch mm-hmm. off and what's a I know we're talking off air about how we were both feeling a bit, <laughs> yeah. bit burnt out at times yeah. um, and I feel no, you a lot um, I was just you think, a lot more than me to be fair no, so. no no I was just thinking the wrong person to ask about mental health is a producer <laughs> I think it's really difficult probably always changing just like it is for everyone else yeah I'm still trying to find out how to do it. So, like, I was on this course called Iave Producers Workshop, which is a big European mm-hmm. workshop for producers, and I was really shocked by the amount of producers in the room that had, had just really severe mental health problems and issues based on and because of the work. I was like, God, I'm not the only one. <laughs> but, yeah, I think the way that I try and deal with it is to, like, talk about it. So I've got a producer's WhatsApp with two producers. I've got multiple WhatsApps with other producers, but one specific one called Producer Support Group. Mm. And it's just sharing, like, oh, I feel like this today, or this has pissed me off, or this project's XYZ. Yeah. So it's just good to release, I think. It's like a bit of therapy from people that really get it. It's such a mental industry for like, in terms of hours and what it sort of demands of you. And it's a shame that so many producers feel the same way. I mean, I'm, I know quite a few producers and I feel like they're always stressed and tired. And it's like, do you think this, this is an, a systemic industry problem? Or like, is there, if you, I'm not that you're, I know you're not a politician and we don't have a magic wand, but like what things could maybe fix that in the industry that would make yeah, that easier? I think it is that problem, but I think there are people that are trying to change it. So like the producers round table, have done a lot of stuff about looking at working hours and campaigning for producer fees. Because mm. a lot of the time in the past, producers were asked to defer their fees, which is insane. 
and yeah, I'd done it as well. But you wouldn't ask anybody else to defer the fee. It's just weird. And it, but yeah, they're doing quite a lot. So I think like working hours and stopping the deferral of fees mm. and just, I think the BFI are trying to introduce more payments up front for develop, producers in development because that's traditionally where a producer yeah. gets dick all. <laughs> Rightly so, it goes, the majority goes to the writer, which is fair enough because they're the ones that are writing the whole thing. Mm. But yeah, it's really difficult for producers to try and eke out a living when you're just getting by through development stuff and nothing's in production. Yeah, I suppose it's an interesting one because a lot of people don't know what producers do as well. Mm. And I think there's a, a misconception where a lot of people think producers are really rich and they're the big time. <laughs> you know, they just come to the film yeah. with the money or the series with the money. And like, there's such a range of roles in what producers do because obviously being a producer on like a big TV show is very different to being a producer and managing like a slate like what you're doing at yeah. the moment and stuff. And they're both very necessary jobs, but I think there's a massive gap and there's a lot of producers that are maybe making micro-budget films or yep. making you know, are smaller companies yeah. and I feel like they get forgotten about a lot in the industry or not thought about enough. And yeah, it's really difficult. Like, people that are doing, like, micro-budget or not, or, or more mainstream stuff, I think they do get missed by the industry and the machine because what I've been fortunate is that, because I'm interested in doing diverse stuff so I can go through the public funding route, like the BFI, um, Screen Scotland, etc. But there are people that are doing more mainstream stuff or more... Stuff that's not going to get public funding, basically. Yeah. And, yeah, they get missed as well. This, to your other point, there are so many producers and different types of producers out there. There's, like, development producers, consulting producers, line producers. Yeah, loads. And you sort of almost be, like, a, a mismatch of all of that. Mismatch of all of them. I'd never be, say I was a line producer because they've got such specific skill set mm-hmm. with finance, which I don't have and I don't ever want to have. But I think, yeah, to a certain extent, I do. I do my own budgets and stuff at the moment. But when it gets to a bigger, like a... A feature like a million pounds level, then I'll be working with a line producer. <laughs> yeah. To um, they have a very hard job. I'd sometimes look over at the line producers on any of the shows I worked on. I'm just like, what the <laughs> amazing! But I don't know how you do it. It's just a. It's maybe there's a slight part to that job that isn't as creative. Maybe that I just don't think I would be very good at when I see them. I'm just like, it's so as you say, it's very finance and problem driven at times. Yeah, and also hiring and managing lots of different staff and stuff. Very um, important yeah. job though. Yeah, yeah. They keep it all running. Hello, it's Jamie here. You may have heard this advert several times before, but if not, this is basically just me taking a minute to remind you guys that if you're enjoying the podcast, there are a number of things you can do to help us keep growing. Now, as many of you might be aware, the podcasting landscape is incredibly saturated. And I mean, there's lots of podcasts. We all love podcasts. But it's very difficult for independent podcasts like us to sometimes break through and to be noticed. So doing things like sharing us on social media, word of mouth, and just telling friends and family to listen, or even leaving us a little five-star review on places like Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts go so far in helping us to keep growing. Me and Elliot adore this podcast. We love making this podcast. So if you're able to help in any way by doing something like that, we'd be incredibly grateful, not just for our podcast, but if you love any independent podcasts, please try and give them a wee share or give them a review because it it goes so far. Another thing you can do if you enjoy the podcast as well, and we appreciate that this is a very difficult time, but if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us, you can donate as little or as much as you like to our Patreon page, and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash justgetarealjob, or you can click the link in the show notes. Anything you can afford, we are very grateful for. Thank you for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy the rest of today's episode.
But like we're talking about budgets and stuff, and what like would you say to anyone listening that maybe wants to be a freelance producer and is like maybe making a short film or something? What would you say to them in terms of budgets and like what would your advice etc be on that? I'd say if you can try and get a commission, so you're not spending any of your own money. Obviously, you can do crowdfunding and things like that, which I've done multiple times. Never want to do again. <laughs> but yeah, try and eke out the schemes to get public funding because not only does it give you money for like mm-hmm. obviously the film, but then it guarantees help with distribution because whoever the funders are all want to people's eyes on the film. So yeah, I would say to try and do that. But like budgets, there's lots of resources out there to look at example budgets mm-hmm. and just ask. Like somebody asked me the other day, can oh can you share X? And I was like, um, I can give you like a redacted version, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, because that's what I found really difficult when I was starting out, and I cheekily asked a well-known line producer, I was like, have you got like a ten grand budget you could? And she was like, yeah, okay. And never sent me it. And I was like, ah. And now I'm in that position where I'm like, I don't really want to send you the whole thing with like the, all the details of what everyone was paid. But yeah, a redacted version is fine. I think mean, that stuff really useful to know though. Because again, it's like you can't really learn that unless you've done it. So yeah. it's really, yeah, it's really tough. And, and on that sort of flip side of budgets, like funding and applying to grants and all this stuff, like that's a maze, but like, it's a massive part of your job you're saying how do you go about all that stuff how do you keep track of all these schemes and everything yeah the scheme thing I call myself like a lab rat or a scheme queen <laughs> because I feel like I've done all of them and I was in yeah. at Cam this, this year this year talking about labs <laughs> because I've done so many of them I think it was intentional on my part I had had funding for a couple of shorts and then I wanted to progress so I applied for SFTN which was the previous short circuits creative producers mm. in 2018 and got on that and I enjoyed like the network that I met and the people I met on there then I got LFF and then Flex at Screen Yorkshire and then Torino Film Lab in Iabe so it was like it just snowballed and I kept thinking I kept signing up to all these newsletters then they kept coming <laughs> in I was like should I apply yeah I'll do it so it was like an intentional point that I wanted mm. to improve my network and also meet like-minded people who I could ask why I thought were stupid questions because they were going through the same thing. And it's just been really, really mm. useful. That's what I would say is the biggest thing for me has been the networks. So you'd advise people to really get involved in all these labs Hugely, and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Hugely, I think networking, even though I used to hate it at the beginning, I actually detested it going in there, mm. not knowing anyone and being awkward and forced to talk to people. That's where I've found most of my collaborators. It's like, so important, that. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It does. It's so... I think if you go about it the right way, I think if you don't act, don't do it transactionally, then it's it's nicer to just meet people because you have something in common instead of like, oh well, we're not, you know, you don't have anything for me, so I'm not going to work with you. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Like the film festivals, like Edinburgh and Glasgow, or there are other film festivals out there, <laughs> but that's where you're going to find like-minded people who are looking for collaborators, and that's who I would. Because I think, yeah, I met Jack when I pitched against him Glasgow short film pitch years ago, mm-hmm. and Jack won a commission. Do. But yeah, we stayed in touch and then we've worked together now. We've got done two shorts, yeah. about to do our third, hopefully, and then we've got a feature in development as well. So yeah, that's just from networking. So say someone's listening right now and they're quite an anxious person, they don't like the socialising stuff, or they're yep. maybe a bit scared of, the, they'd heard a network. What do you say to them to do, like, in terms of, they want, they want to be a freelance producer and build their network? Yeah, I would say, I was just going to say get drunk, and go, <laughs> but no, because that's what happens anyway when you're a producer. No. <laughs> In all seriousness. Yeah, it is really difficult and I get anxiety as well when I think everyone does when you go into these places and you don't know anyone. Like I was at BFI Flare, was it two years ago? 
and I walked into the networking night and I was just like, oh, just not in the mood. So I just walked over, had a glass of wine, drank it while I was like texting a friend and then just walked outside, had a cigarette and I was watching everyone. I was like, nah, I'm off. And just went and like watched a film. So I think you have to be in the mood for it and don't force yourself into it. If, you, if it's going to give you so much anxiety, don't force it. But I think it is really useful. And if you can step it up by doing like a, you know, a Zoom meet up or like emailing a group first and then do baby steps. But I think... yeah. Once you've done it and you get chatting, it's just human interaction. It feels a bit easier. more relaxed. I cheat though. I have I have a podcast, which it feels like a massive cheat to like get to meet people like who you admire and you want to chat. It's not the only reason I do it. but yeah, It's yeah. a massive like. It's just a really fun way of getting to like meet like many people like yourself and ha- force them to have a chat with you for an hour and a half, <laughs> which is always fun. But like, I've, I think that's a great answer. And the other thing, you just to reiterate what you said about like newsletters and stuff, I think following all the companies that you maybe would like to work with or yeah. schemes and signing up to the newsletters and just keeping an eye out yeah. for extracurricular things, not just jobs. I think people get very hung up on like, they haven't advertised any jobs, but a lot of the time it's looking for these other things that they do. Yeah, it's like the parties and like, the post-production facility having a, a party next week and got invited to that and that's where I met somebody else a writer that I want to work with last year mm. and like you said following on the social media as well because sometimes they'll do a tweet or some company you want to work with will tweet about a scheme or a shadowing scheme or something that you could potentially yeah. get access to no that's a very very good answer thank you I put you in the spot with that one so I appreciate <laughs> it I wanted no to talk about your actual work and like what the things you're making and what your ambitions for the future are so like yeah. I know you've got a few films that are going to be on at the at the film festival in Edinburgh and stuff do you want to plug any work that you're yeah. working on at the moment so on the film festival this year there is Pen by Eye Pink Moon by Marie Dinah and that's going to be it's a short doc about Marie's relationship with her father and she goes back to North Cyprus to discuss their factual relationship and try to come mm. to terms with the political situation in North Cyprus and the situation with her and her dad. It's really beautiful, quite poetic film and that is going to be on the 19th of August and then Holly Summerson's 2D animation is about living with a disability. It's a mockumentary starring Annabelle Davis, Lawrence Cheney, Rachel Jackson and it was written by Nicky Rooney and it's a really funny I think uh, 2D animated mockumentary and that's on the 23rd so yeah you can get tickets for both I think still available cool yeah. well if this episode's out in time there's links yeah. to this all if it's the not show. then yeah they, well they'll be around see, soon they'll, they'll be, be again soon at yeah. other festivals yeah and you've also got a few films and things like that all in development so there's quite yeah. a lot of exciting stuff coming yeah. up for you yeah, so with previous guest Michael Richardson, <laughs> go and listen to that episode if you if you haven't yet. It's a, it's a great chat. I think it was like back in January twenty twenty two, so a while ago, but a very fun conversation. Michael Lee Richardson, I should say. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we've got a feature called A Good Spell in development. So we're currently doing a redraft on that, and then chatting to potential director and yeah co producer. So that's exciting. It's about a young gay boy in 70s Glasgow who discovers he's a witch and he's Kate Bush obsessed. Like <laughs> Michael is. It's basically Michael's story. <laughs> um, he's a witch. Yeah, Billy Elliot with broomsticks. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, I think I alluded to, I've got Jack Gosson's feature, A Boyfriend, which is currently at the third draft. And then we'll be looking to film that is it next year or the year after. Really exciting. And then a feature film called Committed with Philip Wright. He's actually been selected for Sky Table Reads with another project. And then Mariah's documentary. And a few other things that I can't announce. Amazing. Yeah. And what's your sort of like dream for the 
company. Yeah. Like, where would you like to be? In, and I'm not going to do that whole horrible in five years, <laughs> but like, what would your just dream be? For yeah. Them? I want to make a Scottish or Scotland based or Scottish infused LGBT feature film, like primarily like a goal. Mm. And then I want to make more of them and I want to work with the kind of people I'm working with now. So with the kind of outlooks and stories they're telling and just keep making like content. So features, TV series, TV series with Catherine Wignall and called Girlfriends, which started off on a screen Yorkshire lab and has now evolved into mm-hmm. this project we've got BFI funding for. So it's like, yeah, there's lots of different things that I'm doing that I want to, I want to see get into production, basically. I don't want to grow Bombito, like, holistically and maybe merge with another company or just grow, yeah. yeah. Well, it's been amazing to see how much you've sort of done in six years, yeah. especially on top of a pandemic, which was mostly <laughs> half the time and yeah. everything else has been going on in this sort of weird climate. You've done very well. And you can acknowledge there's a rising star as well. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you for answering that. I've got some quick fire questions that yep. are a bit funner. Okay. should be a bit of little, you know, not as deep and serious as okay. the producer ones. But first one is like, what's your biggest influence on you as a producer been? So like, could be a film you'd seen or mm-hmm. a person that just gave you advice. I think Susie Brown at Screen Academy Scotland was amazing. The Simon Cowell of the film industry, like the one that you want to impress, that yeah. really hard to impress. And then when you have impressed her, you're like, oh, wow, I've done something right. <laughs> but yeah, she's just a sage, full of advice and just had great skills from her years in the industry. So, yeah, I'd say Susie Brown. Sorry, that was quickfire, wasn't it? I should just... No, it's fine. I always say quickfire, but they're not really... They don't have to be quickfire. I should really just call them fun question or something. Who knows? I'll come up with a real title one day. The next one is, if you you could produce one film from history, what would it be? I don't know this one. Muriel's Wedding. Without a doubt. That was very quick. Yeah, Yeah, it's my favourite film. Has been for years. What about a TV show? I'm just adding one in there. Okay. Um, blah, blah, blah. Queer as fuck, probably the original one. Yeah. <laughs> like I click this again. Best short or film, maybe one, can give one for both maybe, that you've seen recently. Okay, best short I've seen recently. I've seen one very recently, it's in a rough cut, for my friend and recent collaborator, Rosanna Griffiths, called Dope Fiend. What is it called? Dope Say? Dope Fiend. <laughs> Which is a film for short... She's not finished yet, but it's really amazing. I'm excited to see it at a festival. So short-wise, and film, Barbie I saw. It was the last thing I saw at the cinema. <laughs> very topical. Yeah, very topical. Yeah. Good, thank you. If you could work with any talent in the world, who would you choose to work with as a producer? Can you be another producer? Be anyone. Yeah, okay. You do what you want on this Yeah, part. cool. Christine Vachon is my like icon, idol, producer. She heads up killer films in America and like started off doing new queer cinema in the 90s pretty much and it's been consistently amazing with the stuff that killer films has produced like a true indie production company and just really great taste so I met her I didn't meet her I was in like a small curated panel with her at LFF totally fangirling but yeah thank you and last of the quick fiery ones acting talent you could put in one of your films or short films or documentaries etc Tony Collette because of the Muriel's wedding and also because she can do anything. Great, thank you for those uh, quick fire ones. I've only got a few more questions. I know we've nearly been speaking for an hour, so I'll start to wrap things up. But what's been your most challenging moment from your career so far? And what did you learn from that? I think the most challenging moment has been probably like recently right now, like is like the burnout stage, mm. just like the physical and mental exhaustion and the effect it has on everything like your relationships and your projects so it's like means that I've stretched myself too thin 
So some of my writers and directors maybe feeling neglected mm. or annoyed at me or in my brain because I'm so burnt out, I think they're annoyed at me. Yeah. Same with my partner. And also, yeah, what I learned from it was I needed to slow down, prioritise and carve out time for myself. Thank you for that honest answer. I appreciate it. I know it's right. a hard industry as well. So <laughs> yeah. like, I think, yeah, I hear you on that. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> this is like looking in the mirror. Like, <laughs> it's quite scary. Just get a real job. Obviously, the name of the podcast is Just Get Real Job. We had a lot of work jobs we didn't like or pay the bills, etc. Um, yeah. But what's the worst, quote, real job or part-time job you'd had to work? Uh, the worst one was when I moved to Scotland. I just graduated. It's in 1999 or 2000. 2000, 2000. And I was living in the Scottish Borders in Hoyk and I worked in a frozen fish factory um, on a back shift. So it was like from two till midnight or something mm. horrible a stank of fish on my clothes stank of fish <laughs> i'll never eat like those christmas salmon things because chopping them up and just yeah horrible horrible job it was like a, a conveyor belt and then i don't know, once dropped some fish on the floor and they're like just clean it up and put it in the box and i was like oh someone's gonna eat this for christmas dinner it's on the fucking floor but yeah that was like quite Monotonous, soul-destroying. No, that does sound uh, sound particularly bleak. It doesn't sound like it was leading towards much creative fulfilment either. No, because I just graduated. I was like, yeah, the world's on uh, Fish Factory. <laughs> this is a quick, I'm just adding this one in very quickly, but what, what was it that made you move to Scotland in the first place? Love. No, it wasn't love. <laughs> well, well, it kind of was. I met a guy when I was in my last year at uni, and he was living in the Scottish borders, and then... I decided to move up to the Scottish borders. And then from there it led on to the rest of the wonderful country of Scotland. Yeah, so yeah, it was in the borders for like 10 years and then met my current partner in a different town and then moved to Edinburgh and now Glasgow. Yeah. Great, thank you um, for answering that as well. Just my own curiosity there <laughs> anything. What, what's three things you think somebody would need to be a freelance producer? Okay, I think resilience tenacity and communication skills because you're always usually this is from Laura McBride like setting expectations so you set expectations for yourself and everyone you're working with and like just to mm. set your expectation that this isn't going to work out like this or we haven't got this funding or we can't do this or we can do this or yeah, yeah. that kind of chat that's a really good answer I think I feel like resilience comes up most times in this answer, whatever job it is in the creative industries, maybe it's just it clearly saying something about this mental industry. Yeah. You'll have to be very resilient. And sort of similarly, this question sort of ties into that, but like, what advice would you have uh, to close the podcast mm-hmm. for anyone that maybe wants to get into the creative industries in general, but particularly the part of it you work in? I would say, it really annoys me when people say, just go out and make films on your iPhone. <laughs> because yeah, you can, but they'll look <laughs> shit probably. I think you can do that as well, though. I'm not saying you don't do that. I think find your tribe, find like-minded people, either also watch short films, watch the stuff mm. you want to make, because you're never going to be able to do it if you don't know what the medium is. Mm. I think short films are very different to feature films, and they're, they're, they're their own beast. And once you can learn how to do the beginning, middle and end that's needed for a short mm. film, I think it unlocks everything else. But yeah, so I think meet like-minded people, network, like we said before, 
try and get onto some like training if you can or if you can afford to then pay for some training like there's mm. lots of different schemes and things available you don't have to go to film school but it's a good training ground like the producer accelerator is good for emerging producers it's running in scotland just now and they have those all over the place but i'd say yeah just learning from your peers and finding your network is the best yeah. thing that's a very good answer thank you reese thank you for your time today i really appreciate it. i know you're a very busy man you're spinning a lot of plates at once <laughs> yeah um, I hope you're able to get a bit of a rest soon and I wish you all the best at the film festival and all the projects coming up. It's been an amazing thing for Scotland and it's good to have people like you working here and not fucking off to London, etc. (laughs) Thank you very much. It's been brilliant. Nice, really nice to chat to you and good luck on your live shows in Edinburgh. If this is out after the live shows, then I hope they went well and if it's out before, come and see us. Thank you. Cheers. Well, there you go. That was episode 111 of Just Get A Real Job podcast. Thank you again to Reese for his time. Thank you again to everyone that's listened. There is a link to Bombito Productions' website as well. And be sure to follow Reese on social media to go and support their company. And yeah, just be sure to spread the word. If you enjoyed this episode, tell friends and family to listen. Share it on social media. And if you're listening on Spotify, give us a wee follow. If you're listening on Apple, give us a wee five-star review. I think you can do that on Spotify as well now. Anyway, thank you as always for listening to this podcast. We'll be back again next week with another episode. I've just got a real job, but thank you for listening. Just get a real job.